Matthew chapter 5, we are at verse 38 this morning. We are really two paragraphs to getting through chapter 5. Uh, and if, if we had time, I would, would love to have brought these last two chapters together because I, f- I feel they're so connected. Uh, but Lord willing, we will, we will get through uh, verses 38 through 41 or 42 this morning. And then finish chapter 5 uh, next week, Lord willing. It's almost a part 2. These two things are so together. Um, and we'll see that as we go along today. So, I want to remind us of the context of this sermon. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh... I want us to remember that the context is the kingdom of heaven, okay? But we have to remember that the sermon is in the context of the kingdom of heaven while we live here. Those two things are very important. So Jesus starts His ministry in Matthew. We see... In chapter 4, from the time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, it says in Mark, is here. It is at our doorstep. When Christ came, He brought the coming of His kingdom. This kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and peace. The world we live in is not. So we have this clash in Jesus' teaching of this kingdom of righteousness and peace and this world of wickedness and evil. A kingdom that stands on righteousness and a world that is drowning in wickedness. And they clash in this sermon. They clash together. This world that we live in is under the curse, okay? The world, not just you and me, but the world and its systems are under the curse of sin, filled with fallen people, sinful people. What have they fallen from? But the glory of God. So we have to keep these two kingdoms, these two worlds in mind, And at the first coming of Christ, again, they clash. They clash. It's very clear in this chapter, as we've been reading, even in the context, the time frame of of this teaching, Jesus is saying, my teaching is clashing with what you think I act, what God has actually said. And even as we approach it today, in our time, it is even so, if not even more. That our culture glorifies that which God hates. Right? Even in our section today, we will see that as God calls us to peace, love, and mercy towards someone who does us evil, our culture says, glorifies personal vengeance and retaliation. I looked it up. There's even a movie called An Eye for an Eye. And the whole premise of the movie, and I I think it's from like the 90s, the whole premise of the movie is that the justice system failed, so then the, the, the victim takes justice within her own hands. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. A life for a life. Culture tells us that man must defend his own honor, must seek his own justice, to stand up for himself, and that to follow the words of Jesus would be cowardly. That's what our culture tells us. And here's the, here's the truth. That's what we have grown up in. And that culture 
has quietly and easily slipped into our own mentalities. That sinful outlook on justice, vengeance, is saturated in our pride and our egos and in our sin. And so when we look at this passage today and we look at the next passage next week, we are studying the words of Christ and they should feel uncomfortable to us because of the world we live in, because of the way that we've probably been raised. It, it will probably press upon us it should challenge us. It should make us consider whom have we listened to? The world or Jesus? So that's what we have to think about and remember today. So let's read it. I want to actually read 38 through 48 to help us to see it all in the big picture because it's really... It, 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 they're, they're very much tied together. So let's read 38 to 48 in Matthew 5. This is the word of the Lord. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise over the evil, on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is the word of the Lord. So let's start back up at verse 38. We see the pattern we've been seeing throughout this section of, verse, of chapter 5. Jesus starts with, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. Now the difference with this one and the way some of the others have unfolded is that the traditional command that had been passed down probably from teacher to teacher was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They were actually quoting it correctly. Where in some other sections they had either meshed a few things together or just blatantly said it and taught it wrong and how it was written in the old. So we actually have a, a, a correct teaching in the way that it was spoken. Um, so what had happened is it was just then misapplied or abused. You could look at it either way. So here, here's the setup we've got to also remember before we can really understand the purpose of this saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So this does come from the Old Testament, but let's remember who it was given to and why. God called and created an actual nation, a physical group of people. And if you were here Sunday night, we remember that that started out of Abram, God calling Abram out of idolatry to follow him, uh, and let me just remind you, we have started a look at the covenants of God and so we, uh, in the evening. And so we started last Sunday with God's covenant with Abraham. And we're going to continue through that this Sunday night, tonight. And, so, uh, and then we'll move on to 
God's covenant with Moses and Israel the, to David, um, uh, on to the new covenant. You know, we might touch on the uh, with Noah as well, but we're going to look at the covenants of God uh, on Sunday evening. So God creates and calls a physical group of people, a nation. And the purpose of that physical group of people, that nation, is to bless all the nations through Jesus Christ. Right? That was his intent and purpose. And we will see that unfold as we study through these covenants in, on Sunday night. Um, but to allow that nation to actually live and survive, he gave them a law. He gave them a law not just to help them live or survive, but also that they might glorify him in their lives. And so he, he wanted them to continue physically for the sake of the seed of Adam, which actually goes back to the seed of the woman, Eve, the Messiah, right? But he gives them three, we're just going to do a broad three law types of law. He gave them a moral law, a ceremonial law, and a civil law. And we talked about this a month or two ago, but just in the broadness he, of, the, of all the law that he gave them, there were three types, moral, ceremonial, and civil. Where we land today in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is in the civil category. Now, this is really important because this is where they misused and abused this passage. Right? The civil law was given as a whole to the nation. Whereas all the law was given to Israel as a nation, but its application was as a whole. So don't murder each of you. Please do not murder. I'm telling each of you, don't murder. That's a moral law given. While it was applied to the whole nation, it was to the individual to take that action. Civil law is for, how, is, is for the nation as a whole in how it's governed, how they act with other nations, even how they conduct business among themselves. God wants them to thrive for the sake of His glory, but also for their prospering so that they will survive and bring about the Messiah. So here's the law. Obey it. This law that we see is part of the civil department. So let's look at it. Leviticus 24. We're going to look at two passages in the Old Testament to make sure that we understand God's intent for saying an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And then it will become pretty clear of the misuse and the abuse. Leviticus 24. So we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 24, verse 17. Now, it's pretty self-explanatory, so I'm just going to read it, not give much commentary, and then we'll flip over to uh, Deuteronomy. So basically, this section is an explanation of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Leviticus 24, verse 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Now, pause there. Notice how this then is going to take place. Verse 23. So Moses, who's Moses, but the leader of Israel. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him, or, and stoned him with stones, Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now that is a very clear explanation of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now look in Deuteronomy. So we're going to go to the right, 
past numbers to Deuteronomy. We're going to look at 19. Starting in verse 16. Now pay attention to how this law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is to be applied. So the question is, who takes the eye? Who has the responsibility to go and say, you have done this, therefore you owe this? Now let's look and let's see how it is applied here. Verse 16. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties are to, to dispute, shall appear before the Lord, before the priest, and the judges who are in the office in those days. Where do they go? To the priest and to the judges. Did they say they went out back? No. Okay. Verse 18. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and have accused his brothers falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. Who made that judgment? Not the victim. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear. And the rest shall hear and fear. And shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Now everybody go and seek justice. That's not the intent. That's not the point. The point of the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth were purposeful for the nation of Israel to maintain civility. I, I noticed as I, when I was Googling eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, just to see what would come up, there was a lot of criticism for that language by people outside of Christianity. And it's like, well, if it's an eye for an eye, we're just going to all walk around blind. Well, it, yeah, that's the point. If we all take justice within our own hands, we are all going to kill each other. God gave this direction, this law, for the sake of civility, for the sake of that they might hear and fear, but also for the sake of justified restitution. So if a victim is wronged, they will be given what they are deserved. Or justice will be done on behalf of the nation and its governing authorities. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. It is intended to be handled by the governing authorities. So we got one more passage to look at. Romans 13. You all know we're just going to read it even though we all know it. But now that we have this context, let's read Romans 13 again. And then we can uh, jump into the misuse. So for those taking notes, this is not a bunch of points, but yet we're going to go through the verses one at a time. And so this is verse 38. And this is what we're looking at an understanding for an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. We're teaching our girls to keep notes. And if I don't give them clear points, I usually hear about it on the way home. So, uh, But it, it is a good habit to, to, to jot things down as we look through this. Okay, so Romans 13, starting in verse 1. And let's just read the first four verses. Keep in mind what we just read. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Hang on to that word resist. And, hang on, let, let, me, let me make a comment. 
this sermon, this topic, isn't about... I, I, we're not making a statement right now on being sub, submitting to authority and to governing rules. I just want us to see that justice and, and restitution lies in the hands of those whom God has given power. We're not on our, we're not, this isn't about our subject to authority, even though it is. But so don't get caught up in our minds. So in our minds today, should we submit to the authority of the government and this mandate or that mandate? We're not talking about. I don't want you to be thinking about that right now. I want you to be thinking about in the eyes of justice and restitution and what God has ordained. Okay, I, I hope I didn't confuse anybody. Um, so verse two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct meaning they're not there to bring terror upon people who are doing good but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for the good but if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therein lies the problem with our passage today. They don't see nor was concerned with who had the sword, who carried out the punishment. They's like, I've got a sword. I can handle it myself. I'll take out the eye. I'll take off his ear, Peter. They weren't seeing that ultimately justice, vengeance, and restitution all are in the authority of God. And God only does He have that authority. However, He has granted, given over as stewards of His authority, governing bodies and authorities to act on His behalf. Not the individuals. But He has ordained the governing authorities to seek justice, vengeance, and restitution. And when I say vengeance, I mean in the sake, for the sake of justice. True justice. So here's the problem. The teaching of Jesus, just like all these others that we have seen in this section on chapter 5, something holy, the law of God, has been taken and tainted by the sinful, hardened hearts of man. And here we are today, and we can't wait to see the movie that represents that sin. The Bourne Trilogy, I love it. But it is, it is the exact opposite of what God is calling in the kingdom of heaven. It is the three-part movie of a man seeking vengeance upon anyone who did anything to him. And it's entertaining to us. It's culture. It's part of the fallen world that we live in, and we've become so familiar with it, we're like, here's my 1450. Can I have my 3D glasses to view this sin? And it's just... It's just a brush of the shoulder. It's like nothing to us. It's nothing to us. We, we, have, we have allowed ourselves to be persuaded by the world that the ways of the kingdom of, the, of the kingdom of heaven aren't that important as long as you get a little bit of entertainment. As long as you get a good kick out of it and so what has that done how many John Wayne movies have, have or any old black and white westerns 
that have created a culture of you better stand for your honor. You better take it into your own hands. And then so what happens? We've got men who see that and think, that's a man. That's what I want my boy to be. And what do we do? We raise them with the ideals of a fallen culture, not of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So there's this huge clash that it just, it, it, it's there. But we have to take a step back and say, okay, what is feeding us? What are we feeding on the most? Are we, are we watching these movies more than we're reading our Bibles? Are we, are we seeking the thrill and the entertainment of what the world can give us for the sake of temporary enjoyment? Are we, are we motivated by culture to, to be something with our men with our chest up and our shoulders back? No one is going to take my honor. That's not what Jesus is teaching in this section. That's not what He is after. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is about. Look what He says. Look what He says in verse 39. Do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, that word has given me fits all week. Resist. Um, because we use it in multiple ways. I can't resist little Debbies. Seriously. If they buy them, I eat them. But in that idea, that's me. That's me giving in, right? That's me giving in and going after it. Which kind of seems different from what Jesus is saying here. But at the same time, it is. So that word has really thrown me, thrown me off all week. But the Greek, the Greek like, idea behind it is more of what we read of in Romans 13. Don't resist the governing authorities. Don't stand against. Don't oppose. So that helps a little bit if we look at it, if we read it that way. Do not oppose the one who is evil. Do not resist. I mean, do not stand against the one who is evil. Resistance, if you're a science geek and you like physics, you understand resistance causes friction. Resistance makes heat, causes problems, causes things not to work the way they should. Resistance is what Jesus is talking about. It's opposition it's standing against. So we, we as Christians, now this is why it's also difficult. We as Christians, we oppose evil. We as Christians, we stand against evil. And we speak against it and we proclaim the truth. But Jesus, you have to be careful. Jesus doesn't say, do not resist evil. He wants you to resist evil. And if you look at Ephesians 3, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you might resist Satan, that you will resist evil. But he says, do not resist the one who is evil. Well, what in the world does he mean? Well, he means someone who walks up to you with evil intent and slaps you on the face. 
Don't oppose that person. Don't take a stand against that person. So he says, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also, turn to him the other also. So what does it mean to resist or oppose someone who comes to you with evil intent? Well, if they slap you, you slap them back. Jesus says, don't do it. I don't know how many of us have been slapped recently. And, but we've probably been called a name. We've probably been talked down to. And if someone walks up to you with an evil intent and speaks harshly to them, if you were to disobey, you are to speak evil back. You are to speak the same thing back to them. That is to stand against them. That is what it means to resist or to not resist. I'm sorry, to resist. I'm telling you that word has been throwing me off all week. To not fight back. So when we think, when we hear so-and-so resisted arrest, what happens? They, they fought back. They did not... They did not surrender. So when someone comes up to you with evil intent and evil actions or evil words, Jesus is saying, you don't fight back. Now, well, that's not what my daddy taught me. He told me to defend myself. There's a difference. Now we have to be careful, but I'm sure there is a difference between self-defense and pride. Daddy might have wanted you to defend yourself because he didn't want people to be talking about you getting spanked all around the playground. Because that ain't what the so-and-so family stands for. Or daddy might have told us to stand up for ourselves because you got to be a man and you can't let people walk all over you. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. The man who was spit upon and beaten and mocked, falsely accused, and like a sheep led to the shears, he was silent. Now that's going to push against us. That's going to push against what we've known. That's going to push against the culture we live in. Those are the words of Christ. Those are the words of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. John, I'll just read this. I think a lot of what we're looking at here, a lot of what would cause us to do what Christ is telling us not to do would be the sin of pride. Would be thinking, you humiliate me, I'm going to humiliate you. You try to knock me down, I'm going to knock you down. That's pride. For all that is in the world, remember these two clashing worlds? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You know what else he says? And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever.
We mentioned this morning about uh, testing our spiritual heat. And I mentioned that we, we are fueled by the promises of God. That right there is a promise of God. And the world is passing away with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the will of God is if someone slaps you on the cheek, you give them the other. Now, we have spoken many times throughout this section of... The rule and the exception. I have many conversations with people about this topic, about, well, what if, should we, can I, am I allowed to? Here's what we say. Number one, you seek to obey the rule. Do not resist the one who is evil. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Number two, if you find yourself in an exception, I hope you have not sought after it. Meaning, I hope you have not put in yourself in a place to say, it's okay for me to do this because I think this, that, or the... Because then you would probably be acting in sin. And the other thing is, we will find ourselves in gray areas in our life. Always. It is not... It's inevitable. You will find yourselves in gray areas when you think about God's will. Here's what you must have already have done. Sought His will before that ever happens. Before you ever put yourself in a circumstance of saying, this is gray, I don't know if I should do this or that. The Lord provides for His who seek his will. And it should be our prayer that we seek the knowledge and spiritual understanding of God's will so that when life happens, we will act in a manner worthy of Him. So if we get to the situation of, I don't know if this is right or this is wrong, if you have not sought the wisdom of God, You're out of luck. Let us not put ourselves in positions to not be able to discern the will of God. Uh, I hadn't wrote this down and Brother Dan mentioned it. Notice Romans 12, and I'll just read it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. See what that, that, again, that idea of these two colliding ideals, these two colliding worldviews. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You're not, if, if, some, if a situation happens to you, you're not going to sit down and be able to get, okay, what's the will of God in this situation? More than likely, you won't have time to think or act. But if day by day you have been renewing your mind by the Word of God and the indwelt Spirit of God, then in action, He provides for you. He recalls for you. He's already guiding you and maturing you and making you that you can know and discern what is good and what is His will. So prepare yourself now. Daily. Put on the whole armor of God that you might resist the evil one. Notice that. To resist Satan means to not resist an evil person. Let me say that again. To resist Satan and sin is to not resist or fight against or fight back to someone who has come at you with evil intent. So, 
I want quickly look at the rest of this passage and I want to end back in Romans 12 which we read earlier. So let's look. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Here's the key to this passage. You don't have to I don't I don't don't get caught up. I don't know what a tunic or a cloak is, but I want you to know that a cloak is more valuable than a tunic. That's all I want you to know to help understand this passage. A cloak to someone at this time was more valuable than a tunic. So if someone with evil intent is take is taking you to court so that they could take your tunic, Jesus is saying, give them the some give them the thing that's more valuable. Give them your cloak. If someone comes up to you and says, I'm pretty sure you owe me ten dollars, and if you don't give it to me, you say, Oh, here's fifteen. What is that? It's called grace. They don't deserve the ten dollars. They definitely don't deserve fifteen. But you can reflect and image Christ in the gospel by giving someone who deserves nothing more than what they actually desire. Because that's what we have received, right? In deserving hell condemnation for eternity, we've not only we've not only escaped that condemnation but have been given something of great, of infinite value, and that is eternal life, of knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So it's like, I can't afford to give them my cloak. Well, we're not worried about the value of the things in this world. We see the value of the kingdom of heaven and of being a follower of of the King of Kings who gave us the most infinite, most valuable gift of all. And the next, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I, I could be wrong here, but I think this is a reference to an authority that back then you imagine Roman authority within a, a community and the, you've got wicked soldiers, wicked authorities throughout. And what do they do? They, they, they'd, make, they'd make some passerbyer go and take guard for a mile. Or to carry um, pa- uh, you know, whatever they're doing. They, they pull someone in. Okay, imagine like this. Uh, what's his name? Who had to carry the cross of Christ? Huh? Simon. They just pulled him out of the crowd and said, this is your burden, carry it. And he took it. And that's what this is saying. If, if you were pulled aside an evil intent by any means to do something, <laughs> do it and then go a little bit further. Do it and go a little bit further. Show them the kindness Show them your patience and your peace. Show them what you have received from Christ and be a representative of Him. Verse 42, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, we can know that evil would say an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But we can also see the evil of people who would use this very passage for their own gain by begging and borrowing. Let me just say this. That's their sin. You are not accountable for someone's laziness or lying. You're not accountable for the beggar's sin, for the borrower's sin. Jesus does say, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, 
I don't think we've removed ourselves from the context of do not resist the one who is evil. Notice that's the beginning of this passage. And, you know, it's very clear that someone who slaps you is acting in, in wickedness. Someone who's going to sue you for something, for unjust reasons, is obviously acting in wickedness. Someone who's going to force you to do something is obviously... But the beggar and the borrower, are we still talking about the one who is evil? Uh, I think we can, we can say that. That even if, even if the drunk in his wickedness begs, you don't have to give him five dollars. You should go buy him a cheeseburger. You talk to him. You know, it brings to point charity would be a lot easier if we weren't stuck in the world and culture that brings us to live paycheck to paycheck. So when the beggar comes, we pull out our pockets and say, I ain't got nothing. But that's probably a topic for another day. Let's just wrap this all up with Romans 12. And I won't spend just but a couple minutes looking at it. We'll jump all the way down to 17. Romans 12, 17. And we'll, like I said, just kind of breeze through this and call it a day. It's very, very, very easy. If you have kids, you see this very clearly. But we also know as adults that we struggle with this in our hearts. Verse 17 of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Nah. We can make that be a big sin, like violence. But if someone comes at you with a big load of evil and you just throw just a little bit, that's evil. That's sin. We can't put we can't put someone's evil on one side of the scale and our little bit of evil on the other side of the scale. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way evil is measured. Evil is evil. Do not repay evil. No one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now that's what our daddies should be teaching our boys. Not to repay evil with evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. But they'll call them sissy. I don't care. God calls them blessed. Insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With who? All. So if they're not living peaceably with me, does that give me a reason to not live peaceably with No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if people are causing unrest with you, then that's just unrest. But you strive for peace, even in the midst of unrest. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We live a life, we live in a culture that says vengeance is mine. Not vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we also forget of the giving of authority that God has placed upon governing bodies to act on his behalf. In contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, 
Give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The next section in the Sermon on the Mount is you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now I want you to think for a moment as we close, two thoughts. One, biblical, out of the scriptures. Two, the second, a real life situation. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God showed his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We must not forget that. Now, let's consider the church in Afghanistan. Think about the potential of the Taliban breaking down our doors this morning. Now, don't try to take this politically. Don't try to read into this. I guarantee you that those people aren't storing up the weapons within their church. I guarantee you that they walk into their church the day after that they have received a letter from the Taliban and you know what weapon they have in their hands? Right here. Right here. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the motivation of how we respond. I'm not saying self-defense isn't a real thing. I'm saying Jesus has spoken And the really good news is, it's what I just said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What's a slap on the face? What's a harsh word? We have the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens, heirs of God. So we seek that, we remember it, and we live in that reality, filtering out what the world has to say for the sake of Christ, for the sake of His kingdom. Let's pray.